Welcome to Silcast, a monthly podcast where we get one of our colleagues in the studio to talk about his or her work and hobbies. We will also touch upon questions of more philosophical character. The idea with the podcast is to get the chance to get to know your colleagues from CFB. Each interviewee will pass the baton on to another interviewee and ask him or her a question. Your host today is Communications Officer Anders Österby Münster. My guest today is Director Translational Core at the Center, Andreas Warbeck. Well, welcome, Andreas. Hi, welcome. We will be talking about the pre-pilot plant, the translational activities at the center, and in general how biotech companies can avoid ending up in the so-called uh, valley of debt. Mm -hmm. But let's, uh, let's start another place. Uh, a month ago, we went to a third European chemistry partnering conference in Frankfurt together. Mm, yeah. And I could also see from your calendar that there has been a lot of uh, conferences going on in the last months. So uh, my first question would be, uh, in these conferences, what do you get out of it and, and why are you attending these conferences? Yeah, it uh, has, has different reasons. Uh, the one is that uh, there are a few conferences worldwide in Europe and uh, in the US where I'm mostly focusing on, but there's also Asian ones, of course. Where you really need to follow up on what kind of things are happening right now in the bioeconomy. Um, some conferences are more focusing on a certain area of technology or a certain area in the region, but others are really broader in the circular or bio-based economy. So you can meet colleagues from industry, universities, or academia, but also investors are clearly present there. You listen to pitches or follow certain tracks and sessions that focus really on the items that touches you and me in our daily work. It could be about biofuels or regulatory aspects. It could be something about microplastics or plastics in general, uh, things that change in regulatory environments, let's say in the U.S., uh, and so on and so forth. So it's a good place to learn what's going on and meet people from industry, shake hands and network. The second uh, activity is creating visibility for the center. The center needs to get more active in branding itself. Of obviously, you are part of that story. Um, of course. And uh, while many of us have presentations on scientific conferences, it's also important, particularly my, my responsibility or what Jens Kinkler is also doing with his team, presenting us also to an external audience, presenting us in a way of what kind of translational work we do, what commercial approaches we have, the startup companies we have created, commercial opportunities that are there, and also for me to see who is out there who has a technology or a collaboration potential uh, that could be spin into the pre-pilot plant and our translational core. So external collaborators are present at these conferences and they develop you know, lots of opportunities every year, so it, it has to be a constant activity fast to look for them. So many good reasons for being present at uh, these conferences. Can you try to uh, give us a little bit of insight on how you try to promote mm -hmm. the center and which kind of uh, things that you focus on when you when you try to uh, enhance the visibility of the center? 
Yeah, you you are. It's it's a bit different to uh, operating as a company. As you know, I have a company background and was quite active in sales and business development. And if you are running for a company with an agenda and a certain, let's say, portfolio or uh, a product mm, aspect you are representing, that is a clear message you want uh, to present your product or look for collaboration. In this extent here for the CFB, it is different. We are a non-profit organization, uh, but we have a vision and mission uh, that offers many opportunities for partners. Uh, we definitely need to create visibility to make people aware that the center exists and what kind of collaboration opportunities are there. But we cannot act like a business development unit that the companies have. Um, uh, many, uh, you know, many aspects that an industry player would look for to collaborate with us, we do not want to do. Um, so that is a bit uh, uh, tricky on how much visibility and which kind. Uh, what call it this way? What kind of expectations you create? Mm. If you run around and roll the drum, we are the great CFB and this and that we can offer. A lot of people will come and stand at our door. We need to then also service that assess, for example, a project that would be offered to us or say no, which will most likely happen in many cases. If we do too much visibility efforts and create too much, let's say, noise, this will be uh, counterproductive. It has to be properly dosed and also in the overall, um, let's say, mission, uh, what we want to achieve with the center. Me, as the director of the Translational Corps, is also responsible to look for collaborative partnerships with external players. Not everything has to come out of the CFB or the DTU or Greater Copenhagen or Scandinavia. Of course, that is preferred, but we have the capability to run different projects, also of different maturity levels. So why not looking for great success stories that are low-hanging fruits out there that can make use of our capabilities, and we can learn from this effort as well. That is how we approach that. Slowly starting, um, I pretty much started last year to to brand the CFB at different conferences that is in my world, which is usually the industrial biotechnology. Uh, there's a lot of other conferences where people would go for therapeutics or drug discovery, etc., which I am not present. And how do people uh, respond uh, to you coming from... Uh Like a university, of course, we are a hybrid. Uh, but but how do people respond to that? And when you maybe come with also these industrial mindset, uh, mm. can people actually understand uh, that we have this wish uh, as a university as well to bridge the gap between academia and industry? I will, yeah, um, yes, they can. Um, but DTU per se and the CFB is not necessarily connected with that mission. I would say the visibility for the center in, in my market world where I come from is rather low. And that is uh, because we are mostly focusing on uh, technologies or cell factory development that is m possibly not um, the major interest area of the chemical industry, for example. You just mentioned the third, um, third ECP we have been in Frankfurt, which is targeting most importantly the chemical industry. Uh, but there's other industrial biotech or biotech sessions um, uh, all over the world where um, yeah, the center is not so present. Uh, we are in other areas, I believe, much more visible. That's uh, clearly uh, in the scientific the world. For in the time. scientific yes. world, for sure. But also, I'm pretty sure that Bjorn and other colleagues in the show area, if it comes to that aspect, have a pretty good uh, visibility there. 
of course it always depends what market it and and what interest group you are you're looking at as we are the center for biosustainability I believe one of our challenges should be to target the chemical sector. We have that in our mission and vision statement. It's part of our objectives. We need to see what's going on there. Need to see where the trends are going. Maybe you recall um, the presentation during the last year's annual seminar where Thomas Schwarz and Vera Heyer from the Cluster of Industrial Biotech were speaking a little bit what has happened in the last 10 years in biotech. And that is, I believe, a good story um, to listen to. Things are changing. Synthetic biology has changed a few things on how we can get to things, but markets, customer experience, brand owner needs, societal changes, just think about microplastics. It's now in everybody's mouth. It, it's hard to uh, avoid this topic. 20 years ago, nobody was speaking about that. So things change, society awareness is changing. Um, and that's why also markets and players change, and we are part of this. We should need uh, to have a, have a look at um, where opportunities arise and where we as a center with our skill, expertise, our research can contribute for success stories. That's pretty much what it is. And uh, listening around the center, um, I get the idea that it's very unique at this center that we actually have... Um, an environment with, for example, the pre-pilot plant now that you can bone uh, downstream and upstream and go through the whole process, yeah. of course, at a lower scale than what you would do in like a big industrial uh, yeah. setup. But can you try to uh, to take me through uh, the PPP maybe a little bit? Uh, you started uh, one and a half, two years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, what has happened in, the, in that time and where are you now? Yeah. I'm happy to talk about that. So um, when the grant from the Novo Nordisk Foundation was given, I believe in uh, the later 2016, I was hired by Bernard Parson um, from industry um, to help uh, building a pre-pilot facility here that I now am in, in charge kind of of the whole translational efforts when Charlotte left was not foreseen at this point of time. So I was asked to build um, equipment, people, workflows, here at the center, which is the first challenge we had uh, when the center was built. And there was no uh, envisioning of a larger scale, let's say, um, fermentation downstream environment. So finding the place to make that happen was one of the first things to, to do. You can see down in 102 and the adjacent rooms on the first floor. Originally a designed mammalian cell laboratory. We had to convert it uh, substantially to uh, fulfill the needs that we had. A lot of investment was done by DTU, took also almost a year to make it happen. All the utilities, uh, for example, that needed to be installed. We needed extra power lines to be drawn, uh, steam lines and all the things that you need to operate the equipment. This is all in place now and I believe, I would say possibly since September last year, we are operational if it comes to this extent. Um, Equipment-wise, we are closing. Um, most of the large-scale equipment has been in place now. Uh, so you're very much invited for everybody at the center to come and have a visit and look at our equipment, our capabilities. Um, we are able to run everything from, let's say, a small-scale uh, fermentation and screening uh, through our Amber platform, uh, one liter and five liter. We have two 30 liter and a 150 liter reactor 
and then most importantly all the downstream that comes with that that is chromatographies um, that is evaporation all kind of filtration equipment separators liquid liquid extraction a crystallizer so everything that is needed to purify and separate different types of products we have also um, spray drying freeze drying homogenization so we can target many different products and that is what the target of the pre-pilot is prototype process development that can really make a product you can touch and see very important for customers um, for possible collaborators of funding groups take SysBio for example um, if we have the capability to make a certain product in an amount uh, that a customer or a possible investor can see and use run specifications against maybe a petrol-based product that is worth a lot and shortens the time to market it was the whole idea why the pre-pilot was um, funded by the foundation shortens the time to market and increase the value of the cell factories that are developed here so besides the equipment um, we have of course spent a lot of effort and I'm very proud of uh, having recruited a fantastic team of very interdisciplinary open-minded innovative people from all over the world I believe we are 14 or 15 nations just in my setup uh, which is great but they also bring a lot of different angles of view and that is the key about developing a product developing a project further you need chemists technicians engineers fermentation people bioprocess people um, all kind of different disciplines and, and know-how to interact with each other to become successful so we are fully operational with uh, serene sustain we have uh, kind of uh, enabled our first successful product launch and i'm happy this bio um, was incorporated we have very recently decided to move on with the next project which is coming from uh, Morton Neuholm's team and it is an enzyme production so the next project will now be uh, enzymatic if I want to say so yet another second project will be selected in the next months uh, we have capabilities to move forward um, and we will grow with the demands we still have abilities to invest in both uh, equipment uh, people and projects so um, that is very fortunate so if there is an exciting co uh, cooperation and opportunity we can invest also into making that happen because uh, as much equipment we have there may be needs that are not yet fulfilled so that's and cool and now many of uh, of uh, our great listeners would probably be thinking what does it take to be selected to go into the process uh, in the in the pre-pilot plant what are the criteria mm -hmm. and how do you select uh, what kind of uh, ideas that you are working uh, yeah. working with in the pilot plant? I'm, I'm really happy you asked that. When I joined here and Charlotte followed to briefly after me, we were looking at um, how uh, what projects were here and what opportunities were there. And I know that some uh, people here would have loved to work, for example, back with the ILO fermentation team and other opportunities, but they were sometimes blocked and you, you couldn't really spin in the project and then you had to go different uh, roads. Um, so now with PPP and certain iLoop capabilities forged together as a translational core, 
we have um, a good resource basis to touch projects in different phases also. That was different before. Prepilot was targeting mature products, uh, a project that already developed towards, let's say, a grand per liter production opportunity, commercial player identified, etc. Now we can also tackle some strain engineering challenges we have out there. So how do you get access to ICOR? Um, Technically, uh, the first thing that I would be asking for is, um, as I always preach the end in mind, um, developing a technology in your research group or in your section or having a collaborative partner outside who brings that in. I'm also interested in that. It has to be some maturity in it. Um, a too early research project has low uh, chances to get accelerated in the core. We are targeting development times of roughly two years maximum. And we terminate if something doesn't develop as expected. But we try to be very transparent in our selection. So before uh, we were here, Charlotte and I, uh, and I took over on that, there was not a very transparent selection uh, methodology. It was pretty much clear also to me how uh, is a project selected. These days it is decided by the executive management team jointly. So. I assess the technology with my team, which is our innovation projects team, sitting on the fifth floor. So Olafur, Carmos, Sumesh, and Ahmad are taking care of that. We look at it from all aspects, which means we, we look at the technology opportunity there. Is it something we can do? Is it a fit for the mission and vision of the center? Does it fulfill our, you know, what the foundation asks us to do? Again, also includes uh, biosustainability. If you have something on that, I'm very interested. We also look at IP together with uh, with uh, Jens' team. Uh, how is the um, value addition capability for the center? Cre do we create something unique of value that CFB can make, you know, value out? Quite an important aspect. And what is the commercialization opportunity? So we look at that as well. How close is this to market? Is this a small market, a big one? How is competition looking like? What would be the cost range? We provide that all to you, but ideally you already have some idea about what you are talking about. If not, okay, come to us. But that is very likely that you are still a bit too early with that. Nevertheless, we are happy to answer calls. If you have a not, let's say, green chucks, like there's a lot of things that really fit the mission and vision of the center, it's a good technology, there's some value addition for the center, then you have a great opportunity to move forward with us. We then bring it, me together with Bernhard and Lars Nielsen, we bring it um, after internal discussions and assessment, we bring it to the whole EMT for decision making. And if the decision is positive, uh, then uh, I assign a technical and a commercial team in the core, that helps to accelerate the program. So we write uh, mm. project Carter, etc., and move forward with it. So many different things that you take into consideration, but all is based on do we have some potential here in terms of commercialization and also in terms of fulfilling the mission and vision uh, of yes. the center, uh, of course. Actually, in the in the last uh, in the last time here we have had um, many great uh, people uh, mm -hmm. like Microbt, we have had uh, this bio octarin bio now going into the bio innovation uh, institute mm -hmm. um, what do you see that as, 
as a signal of that we now have uh, many stories also that we are going out to sell in the press uh, that actually innovation is going on uh, at this center. Has it just been lying there under the surface or do you see uh, any mechanisms that, uh, that has created uh, this development now? Well, I would of course hope that there is also some kind of harvest round after the center has been operating for a certain amount of time. And looking at the KPIs, for example, patents, people hired by industry or startup spin-outs that we have created, I believe the center is doing a pretty good job. Uh, and that is, of course, to some extent also related to the high diversity of activities we have. Uh, if we would be focusing on one specific area, we would possibly not be so successful, but the combination um, of different diverse fields and entrepreneurial mindsets or people who are willing to get there definitely makes a difference. Denmark is generally, from my observation, a pretty good place to become entrepreneur. There's not too much risk involved compared to other countries. What really happens if you fail? Will you get fired? Will you lose your job? Will you end up on the street begging for money? No. So you have a chance to take the risk and learn from it. Learning also by failure is accepted and it's a very important thing. So I believe Denmark and the center um, encourages that and BII is a fantastic opportunity to incubate that you just mentioned, Mycroft and others. That is a great environment for young or old, uh, innovative people, no matter what age and gender or what where area you come from, to test that out. Yes, to some extent it's harvest, um, but I would also say that with the new activities we have here, new researchers that has joined strong scientific sections that, that give this opportunity, core capabilities that Evelyn and I are building to support that. And we will strengthen that further um, on capabilities that Adam Feist or Ryan Gill uh, uh, or Lars Nielsen are providing uh, to the center. We should grow um, a capability at the center that give researchers and scientists a fantastic opportunity to bring their technologies to the next step. And I'm going to play my part in it um, if it comes to scale up and commercialization I can help with that. And how do you see them after being spinning out from uh, from the, the center when they go out as companies? Mm. Um, what? How can they avoid to end up in what we call like the valley of debt and which precautionary steps could they make to try and avoid to get into this hole where many biotech companies end up before they accelerate? Yeah, that is in fact a golden question, Anis. Um, these valleys of death um, are manifold. And uh, while there is a technology valley of death um, that could lead um, early on to the death of a project, um, for example, you pick a technology that is not properly scalable or you come too late or too early um, uh, to the market, for example, then uh, you are dying rather early uh, before even product launch. The real challenge follows after. The commercial value of death comes even after product launch. So you may be successful in 
in spinning out your technology, in uh, raising money to make a startup or find a strategic investor even uh, who is moving forward with it, that is still not the end of the game. Having a successful uh, startup or successful technology takes a few years later even that you get this turn even. Uh, and this commercial value of death um, is, is possibly even more uh, tricky. Um, it's usually far beyond the scientist's scope uh, because innovators bring a technology to a certain level and then they hand it over to somebody else. For example, uh, new investors that decide for CEO, CTO positions. And you are possibly still part of it as an inventor or whatever, possibly not uh, anymore in the execution. So hard to see what really follows. So let's focus on the technology value of death um, and not on the commercial one uh, that has its own uh, rules, uh, engagement rules. In the technology value of death, I believe um, that's what I preach um, and I'm, I'm not alone. Um, this having the end in mind approach is, is extremely important. Um, you can be successful or at least your chances to success are big, uh, bigger and better um, if you think with the end game in mind. You need to know what is your market, what is your customers, how do you want to develop your business plan. I know that all doesn't sound necessarily too attractive for scientists, right? It is um, about commercial, it's about legal, it's about uh, customer relations and sales that where many people don't necessarily want to go. But you have to address it. Um, if you are passionate about your science uh, and you are passionate and have maybe um, a fantastic technology in your hand that's even patentable, that is the right you know, basics, the foundation you need to move forward. But to move on, um, I would say the first thing I would give every scientist or researcher into, uh, right into the agenda, you have to let go. You have to couple with people who know their stuff that you are not strong at. I identify where you're good at and find people who can help in growing this opportunity further. Particularly, everybody would say, who's good in legal, right? Uh, a lot of people are hard on, on writing or even reading a contract. You, uh, pretty obvious. But there's much more. So you have to accept that at some point you need to let go. And that is one of the hardest things for people who are passionate about something. Letting your baby go grow and fly. That's hard. I would suggest um, to take that into consideration very early on. But isn't the problem also that these seed investments, that even though it's really great to get a seed investment, um, a big amount of these money will already be used early on to get production mm. equipment, uh, to try just at least to get some production up and running. Yes. And what you see now actually is that many uh, biotech companies, like young biotech companies, move in the direction where they partner up with others who can stand for production uh, and sales. And that's a kind of business model because then mm. I, I'm just seeing it. Could that be an opportunity for... Uh, for also people here at the center and say, okay, identify the strength. We're super good in the science, but maybe we should partner up as a business model and let them do the production because they're good at that. Yes, generally, uh, of course, it's a good idea and uh, incubator environments often offer that. Um, an inco a good incubator environment offers you opportunities to grow in areas you are possibly not so strong at. BII is a good example for that, but there's, of course, a lot of others also existing that can do that. 
partnering with others, also young companies who want to go there, or finding business models about lease and, and renting that is clearly a business that is coming, um, that you do not need to own everything. Biotech is expensive. Pharma and therapeutics is even more expensive than that. So if you want to go there, you need to, to invest amounts of money and, and get into a game that is completely different than what you know seed investors or so ever would would uh, go and the trend is clearly going there mega deals is what's happening uh if you look around in our business particularly in the u.s investments of 200 300 400 or 500 million dollars are not uncommon this is mega trends and uh, these deals is what um investors are looking for so what kind of technology do you need to have to match with these investment routes um, quite game-changing, obviously. If you run a technology that is not a 500 million unicorn, but you still have a valid business case, uh, you need to look for different investors. And I agree, um, production, salaries, etc., eat up your three, five, ten million dollar investment very rapidly. Uh, that cannot be that all startups have to create again and again the same type of environment. That's why the pre-pilot plant in our setup enables also the startups we have created to come back and work with us, yet under different conditions, of course. But there are also um, so-called CRO environments, um, contract research organizations that can help you growing there. Um, ideally, um, a partnership with a strategic investor could help you as well. Um, or, as you mentioned, maybe partnering up with somebody, make a group, of people who have the same interest, maybe in different areas, um, couple uh, your investment at this point is an option. I can imagine that. Um, yeah, but it's clearly challenging um, uh, to to enter the production world. Yeah. Mm. We could uh, go on for a long time, uh, Andreas, uh, with uh, with these uh, topics, but uh, time is uh, running out. But I would say I will be very interested and uh, follow the development in the pre-pilot plant and also with the spin-out companies coming from uh, mm -hmm. from the center in uh, in the future. And uh, I want to ask you here uh, at the end: we have this idea that we pass the baton on to the next interviewee that will be here in uh, in Cellcast. So who would you like to uh, to pass on the baton to, Andres? Well, I, I would be uh, delighted to pass the baton over to Sumesh, uh, who has recently uh, joined um, my team as well, uh, but has been here at the center for a substantial amount of time, particularly around global econometric modeling. His new role and, uh, and activities here strengthen not only the translational core, um, he's also a fantastic chemical engineer and a nice guy, so it would be my great pleasure to uh, have him as the next interviewer. And then the last thing, I know that you just went to the Danish exam, so I think we should uh, end up in uh, Danish. So, tak fordi du kom her, uh, Andreas. Mange tak, tak for i dag. Selv tak. <laughs>